Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, November the 6th, 2022. It is currently 3.02 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. 3.02. I don't know what I was getting ready to say. 3.02 3.03 p.m. Central Time here in West Texas, where it's a beautiful November Sunday afternoon. It's like 81 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. It's it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon uh, here in the neighborhood where the studio is located. There are kids playing basketball, riding bikes, running all over the place. They're having a wonderful time, and I'm hoping that you and I can have a wonderful time wherever you may be. Whatever the weather may be, whatever time it may be, hopefully we can have a good time not playing basketball or riding bikes or running around, but I don't know, by looking to the Word of God and doing a little bit of study in the book of Nehemiah, that has been our Bible study exercise for this week. But before we do that, let me just tell you right now what is currently happening here behind the scenes. We are broadcasting live on the Spreaker podcasting platform. All right. That's on the, and that, that can be heard live on the Spreaker app. That can also be heard live at theologycentral.net can also be heard live at the VBC website. So that, so that live stream is heard in a number of different ways and a number of different platforms that, that uh, streaming platform has worked perfectly. We've not had one bit, not one problem, not at all. Not, not one bit, not, not even an issue, not even a, a blip, a beep, Nothing. Everything has worked perfectly, flawlessly, I dare say. All right. However, over the last week, we've had major problems live streaming via the Sermons 2.0 and Church One platform. We've had serious issues. Well, today, the software that we use, they, they offered an update. We did the update. And currently, currently, let me go look at the software. It says that we're streaming at a perfect rate, and that everything is good to go. We will see if that problem has been resolved. I will definitely tell you, please use the Church One app. That's the app we really want people using just because all of our content is, it's, it's organized in such a way that makes it easy for you to find every series. And not only that, the Church One app has clearly the best notification system. Spreaker app, unless the app is open, you don't get a notification. Church One, you get the notification. That's the way it should work. In my mind, that's the way it should work. So um, I hope that you'll consider downloading the Church One app. Go to your app store choice, Apple or Google. Church O-N-E, Church One, all run together, Church O-N-E. Once the app is downloaded, do a search for Theology Central. That is us. It basically turns the Church One app into the Theology Central app, and then you have all of our content. Sounds good? I, I think it sounds good. All right, so we will keep you informed of the latest breaking news the latest developments about our streaming issues. I know some of you don't really care, but I have to let at least keep people informed. We Look, we spend lots of money trying to ensure we're on all these different platforms. And the last thing we want 
is for one of them not to be working properly. We, we would like to be on sermons, sermon.net. We really would. We want to be on the sermon.net platform. They're getting ready to do a complete major update on their platform. So there's a good chance we may be trying to go. I would love to be able to go live on sermons.net, sermon audio, sermon audio, sermons 2.0, church one, Spreaker, theologycentral.net. I would love to be live on like 15 different platforms. Um, but the sermons.net software, the way it was designed is as soon as we went live, it took control of our microphone, the volume level, and it cranked it to a hundred. So we sound perfect on sermons.net, but all the other platforms, it, it's, it's maxed out and it, and it's distorting and it's horrible. So we will see if the new software update on sermons.net um, changes anything. I would, I, I still want to use that platform. I still want to use that platform. I, I still do. I still do. It, it just, it doesn't have, I just think we could do something with, I, I want to be doing live streaming on Podbean. I, I do want to be doing live streaming on Podbean as well. There's just so much that we want to do, but I can't do everything. All right. But okay, that's five minutes. Let's forget all of that. Let's get started. Are you ready? I hope you're ready. All right. We've been working on the book of Nehemiah all week. Today, we conclude our study in Nehemiah chapter 8. Did we do a great job? I think we did an okay job. Did we cover everything? Eh, So-so. Did did I do a decent job in all the names? I give myself about a B plus. I think I did about a B plus on those names. There's lots of names mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 8. One of your assignments was to pick one of those names, names randomly and just look up some information about them and just write out a little paragraph about them. Uh, but there was another homework assignment. Another homework assignment that no one did. Some of the other homework assignments people did, but this one was just skipped. I don't know why everyone skipped it. I don't think they thought it was important. But we're I'm going to do the homework assignment for you at least in part. I'm still going to challenge you to consider it. And here's the reason why. I have an entire book here called Enter His Gates. This is, how many pages is this book? How many pages? Let me look here. About 400 pages long. A 400-page book entitled Enter His Gates. And basically, this entire book is built around almost a spiritualizing, allegorizing interpretation of the gates found in the book of Nehemiah. Basically, a 400-page devotional book is completely built on the allegorizing, spiritualizing the gates found in Nehemiah. They see the gates in Nehemiah like, oh, this represents this, this represents this, this represents this, this represents this, this represents this. And then they dedicate one entire month to focusing on what these gates supposedly represent in the book of Nehemiah. So my homework assignment for everyone this week was to find all the gates mentioned in Nehemiah. This is what I wanted you to do. Find the gate, write down the reference, and then just figure out what was that gate actually used for, all right? And and I think people are like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares if there's 12? Who cares if there's 15? Who cares if there's 100? And who cares what they're, they're just gates. Well, I can understand that way of thinking, but there's some 
within the world who think that those gates represent something. And the reason I'm so, I guess, sensitive to this is an early sermon I preached. Early sermon I preached, all right? Um, I don't even know what year it was, maybe 1991, maybe 1992. I am in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm attending a, a church where I'm, I'm going through, going, I'm attending a church where I am going through my first Bible Institute, right? And so I'm part of the Bible Institute, and it was our New Year's Eve service. The way the church did things is typically those who were going through the Bible Institute, those who were studying to be ministers, you really didn't get any opportunity to preach or teach. You really didn't have many opportunities. But on the New Year's Eve service, which would start like at six or seven, it would go all the way till midnight. Right. And what would happen is every hour was basically, it was like a, it was like about 45 minutes to an hour church service, then a break, food, fellowship. Then you would come back for like about another 45 minutes or an hour. And the people who got to preach each one of those services was one of the men in the Bible Institute who was, you know, learning to, to, to become a pastor. So I got the opportunity to preach the last one, like the one that would end right at midnight. And guess what I preached on? The gates of Nehemiah. And guess what I did with them? Oh, you guessed it. I spiritualized them. I allegorized them. I turned them into an allegory. And I'm like, this one represents this and this represents this. And guess which one I ended with? I ended with the gate that represented, I said, was second coming of Jesus Christ. And I made sure I ended that when we ended right at midnight, getting ready to go into a new year. And it was this new year could be the year that Christ returned, that type of thing. Yes. And I look back at that now and not very happy with the way I handled the text. So I thought since we're in Nehemiah, I want everyone to just look at that and at least have an idea. So that was that was the thought in my mind. Obviously, the rest of you were like, eh, nah, not so much. I understand. I understand. I understand. But we're going to do the homework today. Are you ready? So, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the, drum roll please, Watergate. Right, the Watergate. Now that's what sparked the whole thing. As soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, oh, the gates of Nehemiah. The gates of Nehemiah. Yes, this this is what we need to talk about. So I'm gonna open up the book, enter his gates, and I'm gonna go to the very beginning. The introduction. Here we go. Are you ready? Listen carefully. In Bible times, city gates had tremendous importance in the natural world as well as significant spiritual meaning. So they're like in biblical, time, in biblical times, the gates had tremendous importance in the natural physical world, but they also had significant spiritual meaning. Now that sounds good. That's like, ooh, that's, that's why I bought the book. The first time I saw that, I'm like, whoa, wait. The gates have spiritual meaning. Oh, this sounds good. Okay, I I, I want to look into this. I want to look into this. Here's what they say. This is why they had some such importance in meaning. Number one, because of their central location, gates were spoken of as symbols of power and authority. Hmm. Can you think of a scripture 
where the gates are spoken of as simply a symbol of power and authority. Number two, gates were, were the focus of enemy attack. That when the enemies attacked, they usually went after the gates. Obviously, getting through a gate would be easier than getting through a wall, right? Getting through the gate may be easier than getting over a wall or under a wall. So you would think it would make sense just from probably a strategic standpoint. They give some scriptures here. We won't look at them. Next, people gathered there to hear the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, verse 3. Uh, and both legal and judicial transactions occurred at the city gates. Zechariah eight sixteen. So the gates are important because that's where people gathered to hear the reading of God's word. Now, I don't know if you can say that that's where they always gathered. That's where they gathered in Nehemiah. Was there a specific reason they gathered there in Nehemiah? Or, or do you try to make that mean more? I don't know. And Zechariah, the people are supposedly gathering to, for both legal and judicial transactions. And that's supposedly Zechariah 8.16. We won't look at that, but you you can if you would like. Next, in Israel's in Israel... Words from God's law were and still are inscribed on or above the gates of private homes. Deuteronomy 6, 9. So the God's law was written on the gates of, to people's homes. So they, they make the, what they're trying to do in the book. See, the gate is significant. Well, so then that's why, because the gate is significant, that's why God's law was written there. Right? That, that, that's their claim. Uh, next, to possess the gates was to possess the city, Genesis twenty four sixty, And that is why God promised Abraham that his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies, Genesis twenty two seventeen. So if you possess the gate, you possess the city. So they say their, their determination is that makes gates super important, not only in the physical world, but also in their spiritual meaning. Next, gates were vital to the defense of cities in ancient Israel because they protected against enemy invasion. In the event of attack, the city gates were closed to shut out the enemy. All right? So they talk about, those are the reason gates are important. Gates are important. Gates are important. Gates are important. So then this is what they do. They say a lot of other things about gates. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip all of that and then just show you why they focus on certain gates in the book of Nehemiah. Here's what they do. God has set before us 12 months of the coming year. These months are precious gateways to spiritual growth and development. See how now they're spiritualizing this? Okay, we got 12 months out there. So before we know it, we're going to be looking at January 2023. And that is, so every, the beginning of every month, that's a gateway, a gateway. And it's a gateway to what? It's, well, a month of spiritual growth and development. So you got to see each month as a gate that gets you to spiritual growth and development. That's that's how they're spiritualizing it, allegorizing it. Each month during this year, we will strengthen in a different spiritual gate or we will strengthen a different spiritual gate. So what they're going to do in this book, 400 pages long, is each month is going to be a different spiritual gate. In other words, the gates represent something spiritual. So for each month, they're going to choose one gate and that entire month is going to be dedicated to that spiritual gate. And if we focus on it, then we'll have spiritual growth and spiritual development. 
That's the concept of the book. Now, again, I, I was somewhat fascinated by it, thinking, wow, this is, okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. Now, sadly, I didn't give it much thought. I didn't give much thought to, okay, wait, is this what the text is actually saying? I looked at it more like, ooh, this could be a good, a good year's worth of reading and, and discipleship and spiritual growth. And I, I didn't look at it. Well, wait a minute. Did this actually come from the text of Scripture? And here's what they do. Now, the first one, they don't take from Nehemiah. The first one they take from is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, verse 10, which they call it the new gate. And they're like, well, obviously we know what the new gate is. It's fresh starts. So January is the month of spiritual new starts, spiritual, spiritual fresh starts, spiritual new things. Now, why in Jeremiah 36, 10, and you can just add this as an extra bonus if you want. Why is it called the new gate? Because it was new? Did it represent something? I mean, what was it? Why was it actually called new and what was it actually used for? Now, can we take from that? Ooh, that represents new spiritual beginnings. I, 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 unless you find something in a text to show me that, I think you're going to have a hard time proving that. All right. So. Jeremiah 36.10, the new gate. Then February, they want us to look at the water gate. And guess where the water gate is found? Look at there. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together. It's one man in the street that was before the water gate. Now, the book doesn't go to Nehemiah 8. It goes to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, verse 26, moreover, the Nethinims dwelt an Ophel unto the place over against the water gate. I think that's the first time it's mentioned right there. It's the water gate. So they're like, that's, that's the month of February. Now, this is what they claim. They claim that the water gate, that the water gate, um, I don't, I don't want to see, they just go what it represents. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to say this. They're going to say that the water gate, let me hang on, let me see here. Um do they actually say I don't think they actually say. Obviously, they they I think it's written somewhere else maybe in this book that the water gate was a gate in which water was brought into the city. They went out to gather water and then brought it back into through the water gate. Now, you, you can look that up and verify that in a Bible dictionary or a Bible handbook, Watergate. And again, Nehemiah 3.26. And of course, you know what they're going to do this. They say this represents the word of God in our lives of which water is a symbol. Devotions during this month will focus on the word, meditation, prayer, personal devotions, and listening to and communicating with God. All right? So they, they're like, there's the water gate. That's Nehemiah 3.26, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, the water gate. So you got the new gate in Jeremiah 36.10. You can, you can try to figure out what the new gate was it actually used for. And then what was the water gate actually used for in the book of Nehemiah? That most people, I think, associate the water gate with some kind of transpor transporting and delivering of water. Now, if that is true, that it was actual physical water, can we say that that represents the water of God's word? 
you can draw that conclusion. All right, next. All right, the valley gate. The valley gate. And they find this one in Nehemiah 3. I believe it's verse 13. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, the, val- the valley gate. Yeah, Nehemiah 3.13. The valley gate. Uh, the valley gate right there. So well, why was it called the valley gate? Why was it called the valley gate? What was it used for? Now, you know what they're going to do with it. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? They're going to say the valley gate represents adversity, suffering, and trials. And this will be the emphasis for devotion during the month of March. Nehemiah 3.13. You see how that sounds good. And that could preach good, right? And you could do an entire church year using the gates. And man, the church may get committed to this and the gates, the gates, the gates, the gates, the gates. You could have someone create artwork and graphics. And man, you could do all kinds of things. The kids could do crafts, building 12 gates and, and decorating them to look like the water gate or the valley gate. And oh, wow. You could do so. You could have children's curriculum, teen curriculum, adult curriculum. You could go all out on this if you really wanted to. But the problem is, does the valley gate actually represent anxiety, depression, hard times, difficulty? Why was it called the valley gate? What was it used for? That, that's, I want you to determine that. Next, April's theme is Nehemiah 3.1. Nehemiah 3, 1, right? Then uh, uh, Eli- Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. The sheep gate. The sheep gate. Now, what was it used for? Obviously, people would say it was for the transporting of bringing in or bringing out sheep. Some would argue it was used for the bringing in and bringing out of sheep for sacrifice. So what are they going to do with this? The sheep gate, the gate through which animal sacrifices were brought into the city of Jerusalem. This gate represents the work of the cross in our lives, and we reflect on the purpose, meaning, and significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. The sheep gate. Wow, that does, does that work? We got the water gate. We got the valley gate. We got the sheep gate. We got the new gate over there in Jeremiah. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Next. Nehemiah 3.28, Nehemiah 3.28, from above the horse gate, from above the horse gate, we have the horse gate, this is what they say about the horse gate, the gate through which returning warriors rode into the city, this gate is a sim- symbolic of warfare, so devotions will concern spiritual warfare. So the horse gate, they're like, hey, people coming back from war, they rode in in the, in, the, in the horse gate. The sheep being led in for sacrifice with the sheep gate, the valley gate, uh, that don't tell us what it was used for, but supposedly it deals with trials and difficulties. And then the water gate, well, that's where water came in, and that water represents the word of God. See how this is becoming symbolic and allegorizing and spiritualizing it? Next, Nehemiah 3.14. Nehemiah 
Nehemiah 3.14, but the dung gate, the dung gate, Nehemiah 3.14, the dung gate. Some, Some translations will refer to this as the refuse gate. This is a gate through which garbage and waste materials were carried out of Jerusalem. This is the garbage gate, the dung gate. This is the trash gate. This is where garbage was taken out. Now, of course, you see what they're going to do with this. This gate, this gate does not have a very appealing name, but then carnality of the flesh is not appealing either. And this is what the gate represents. They say the gate represents the carnality of the flesh. So that month is all going to be about fighting the flesh and fighting the carnality and getting rid of sin out of our lives. So what have we got so far? We have the new gate, Jeremiah 36.10. What, what, what does that represent? All right. I told you I was going to do the homework for you. Obviously, I'm not doing it all, but all right. So the new gate, what, what, what was it used for? Next, the water gate. That's, uh, so Jeremiah 36.10, the water gate is Nehemiah 3.26. The valley gate is Nehemiah 3.13. The sheep gate is Nehemiah 3.1. The horse gate is Nehemiah 3.28. The refuse gate or the Dung gate or the garbage gate is Nehemiah 3.14, right? So this brings us to July, Nehemiah 3.3. Nehemiah 3.3. But the fish gate, but the fish gate. Now, this is what they say about the fish gate. The entry through which fish were brought to market in Jerusalem. The sign of the fish represents our Christian witness. So meditations for this month concerning witnessing, serving, and touching the lives of others. So they're like, the fish represents witnessing. That, 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 that's how they're spiritualizing it. But they say the fish gate was for bringing in fish. Now, I know in preaching and teaching, we, we this kind of stuff it's like, it's like a drug. It's like the pastor can't refuse. Like, oh, this is so good. But, but are we being any, anywhere close to faithful to the text? Do we spiritualize these gates in any way, shape, or form, or just simply say, that's what this gate was for? End of story. Or do we try to find some spiritual, is it okay to, to make a spiritual picture out of it? Some may be more like, well, I don't think it's a problem. Don't be too critical. My thing is, you can, look, you can spend a month looking at these things like the Word of God or adversity or the sacrifice of Christ or spiritual warfare or carnality. You you can dedicate a month to each one of those topics. I just don't know if you jump to Nehemiah and look at these gates and say, see, that's what these gates represent. That is the hermeneutical questionable approach in my estimation. I, I, don't, I don't think that that's what these are for. Next is the fountain gate, Nehemiah 3.15. Let me make sure I can find it. Nehemiah 3.15, but the gate of the fountain, but the gate of the fountain. So there's the fountain gate. This is what they say. Our theme for August represents the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a fountain springing up from the innermost being. Devotions focus on, focus on spiritual growth and the work of the Holy Spirit. So they make the fountain gate symbolic of the Holy Spirit. What was the fountain gate for? We already have a water gate. Now what's the fountain gate? 
Now you can see there's some questionable, well, okay. Oh, it has the word fountain. Jesus mentioned something about fountain kind of, okay, there you go. Water. Okay. Well, there's some scripture that they're just randomly connecting scriptures and saying, this is what represents this. So look, a lot of Christians out there love this stuff. They, they would be, they would be like, oh, this is good stuff and good sermons. And all right, next, Nehemiah 12.39. Nehemiah 12.39. I'm going to have to set the book down. Nehemiah 12.39. Nehemiah 12.39. I had it everything right there in chapter 3, so I just could pick it up, but i got to turn the page here. Nehemiah 12.39, and we read, And from above the gate of Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, and the tower of Hanan-el, and the tower of Me'ah, even unto the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. And the prison gate. There's some other gates there that are mentioned that are not here in this book. So I'm not finding all of them for you. I'm finding some of them for you. The prison gate. Focusing on freedom in Christ and deliverance from spiritual bondage. All right, they don't tell us what the gate was used for. What was the prison gate used for? What was the, is, was this a gate that led directly to the prison? It would seem to make sense. Do we draw spiritual imagery from that? I don't, I don't know. Uh, okay, the next one, they call it the foundation gate. And this is 2 Chronicles 23, 5. The foundation gate, 2 Chronicles 23, 5. They have to leave Nehemiah. But they skip some of the, the gates mentioned here, the old gate and the other. They mentioned, they, they skip some of them. Foundation gate. You can look that one up. What was that used for? What was that used for? All right. The next is uh, Isaiah 60, 18. 60, 18. Gates of praise. Isaiah 60, 18. Let's see what that actually says. Isaiah 60, 18. Isaiah 60, 18. 60, 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy wall, thy wall salvation and thy gates praise. I, I, that's not actually talking about I, I, I guess, yeah, we, we'd have to do a lot there. All right, they call it the gates of praise. All right. And then the last one is Nehemiah 3.31. Nehemiah 3.31. Let's go back to Nehemiah 3.31. Uh, Nehemiah 3.31. And please note, after him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethinims, and of the merchants over against the gate Mipcad, and to the going up to the corner. This is the Mip Mipcad gate, or the you could say the yeah I know it's Mipcad. I think that I guess you could say Mifcad. Maybe you could say Mifcad. I think it's Mipcad is the way you say it. The Mipcad gate. The Mipcad gate. What in the world is that? What was the Mipcad gate? What was it for? Now they claim. This is what they claim in the book. That the Mipcad gate, it mean, that Mipcad means to review. 
And so for the for that for that month of December for the MIPCAD gate, it's, it's they're going to use it as a time of self-examination and of self-review. I I don't I don't know about that. Now you please note they they borrow from the book of Nehemiah for most of the gates, but they left Nehemiah. I guess when they you think they would want to talk about the old gate or some of those other gates, but they they left it out. I still challenge you to find all the gates mentioned. And look up what they were actually used for. But because I want you to just see right here. Here's one example. Here's one example of how these gates are used in a lot of, of the evangelical world. In fact, let me challenge you to do something. Let's do this. Let me look here. I could be wrong, but let me look here. I'm going to go to uh, search. It's going to type in gates. Gates. Let's see what shows up. Okay, I just went, okay, the gates of Jerusalem, the gospel in the gates, guarding the gates. Those are, those are different series. So there's multiple series. If you go to Sermons 2.0 app, oh, you've got the 10 gates of Jerusalem, repairing the gates, open the gates, biblical gates, guarding the gates, the gospel in the gates, the gates of Jerusalem. You've got multiple sermons on the gates. I guarantee you that 90% of these, if not 95% of these sermons is going to straight up spiritualize them, allegorize them. And I want you to determine, is that is that an accurate way of handling it? I want you to be familiar with all of the gates in Nehemiah, mainly Nehemiah. Get a list of those gates and what what were they actually used for? Because look, if you can find one that was actually not used for what they spiritualize it to be, to represent, well then it can't represent something the gate wasn't even actually used for. Like it would be hilarious that like the water gate <laughs> didn't have anything to do with water. Okay, well that destroys that. The fountain gate, that had something to do with it. The dung gate or the prison gate or the fish gate, it would be fascinating to find out, wait a minute, wait, no, 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 no. You're making it represent something it wasn't even used for. We, we've got to get that actual facts about each gate and make sure there's agreement upon it. Then we can ask, then we can challenge ourselves. Okay, what can I actually do with that? How far can I take that? I would challenge you, grab the Sermons 2.0 app. Just type in the word gate and start listening to random sermons. And let me know what you find. We're going to, you know what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to review some of them. We're going to have to review. We're going to do some sermon reviews on gate sermons. Gate sermons. Gate sermon review. That's what we're going to do. Okay. If Watergate was a scandal, the gate sermon scandal, all right? The great gate sermon scandal. Because uh, the sermon gate scandal, did that work better? Because uh, I, I just think that there's, I think people lose their hermeneutical minds with this stuff. I did. Now, to be fair, I was, I, I mean, I will argue it was my first Bible institute. I hadn't even completed the Bible Institute. They were supposed to be the one teaching me how to preach. They're the ones supposed to be teaching me how to do hermeneutics. But guess what? Everyone loved that sermon. They loved it. I got so much like, wow, that was awesome. You ended that right at midnight talking about the second come. Wow, that's really, oh, oh that's, that's awesome. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, but it, you know what? It doesn't matter how much praise you get for a sermon. 
Was I true to the text of Nehemiah when it mentions these gates? I was just chose the gates and I just went full blown. This is what it represents. Who cares about Nehemiah? Who cares about Nehemiah? Who cares what it means to, did those people go when they're carrying water through the water gate, if that's what it was actually used for? Oh, this represents the word of God. Oh, 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 that fish gate, that represents my witness. Oh, 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 there's, there's the horse gate that represents the spiritual warfare. Oh, there's the valley gate. Makes me remember, I don't think that they would have saw them as a literal gate that didn't represent anything, okay, right? I mean, I, am I wrong? Now, if the text indicates, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's going on here. Something's going on here. I think there's some spiritual imagery going on here. Okay, well, then we'll have to prove that. But you've got the Sermons 2.0 app. Man, use it. Some, when you're doing extra research, use that Sermons 2.0 app. That took me five gates and a boom. I've got seven. I've got all kinds. And look look what this, this one called the biblical gates, the water gate, the fountain gate, the despised gate, the valley gate, the old gate, the fish gate, and the sheep gate. Oh, I know where the, you, look, if I'm telling you know what they're going to do there. You know what they're going to do there. You know, it's written in stone. They, they, they went, they, I guarantee you, they went straight with the way this book went. I, and I'd be curious if this book influenced it. It would be fascinating. So you may not think it's a big deal, but this is really, a, I'm trying to give you an exercise to protect you from hermeneutical manipulation. So there's lots of series here on the biblical gates. There's how many series? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. So for those in the Discord channel, if you listen to any of these sermons on gates, post the one that you listened to. Tell me what you thought, all right? And if you get that list of all the gates in Nehemiah, you can leave out Jeremiah. You can leave out the gates of praise. You can leave out the foundation gate, which was where? Um, foundation gate. What, what book was that in? Uh, the foundation. Second uh, Chronicles. And you can leave out uh, the new gate, which was in Jeremiah. You can leave those out and you can replace them with other gates mentioned in Nehemiah. Like, for example, um, let me see here. Where was that one? Let's see. Uh, I'll just go with this series. They, uh, the old gate. The old gate. And there's probably more in, uh, in Nehemiah. In fact, if you just do this, if you go to Blue Letter Bible app, type in gate, not hate, gate, uh, no, I don't want New Testament. I don't want New Testament. It's going to go Old Testament. Now, if you just go Old Testament, the gate gate is used 207 times. If we just get here to Nehemiah. If I just go to Nehemiah, I could have just searched in one book, but that's okay. Nehemiah. I got uh, Nehemiah 2.13, the gate of the valley. Uh, I got the gate of the fountain. The gate of the valley. Okay, so I'm going to go through these quickly. Nehemiah 2.13, gate of the valley. Nehemiah 2.14, gate of the fountain. Nehemiah 2.15, gate of the valley. Nehemiah 3.1, sheep gate. Nehemiah 3.3, fish gate. 
Nehemiah 3.6, old gate. Nehemiah 3.13, the valley gate and the dung gate. Uh, Nehemiah 3.14, the dung gate. Nehemiah 3.15, the gate of the fountain. Nehemiah 3.26, the water gate. Nehemiah 3.28, the horse gate. Nehemiah 3.29, the east gate. The east gate. Nehemiah 3.31, the gate Mipkad. Uh, Nehemiah 3.32, the sheep gate. Nehemiah 8.1, the water gate. Nehemiah 8.3, the water gate. Nehemiah 8.16, the water gate. Nehemiah 12.31, the dung gate. Nehemiah 12.37, the fountain gate. Nehemiah 12.37, the water gate. Nehemiah 12.39, the gate of Ephraim, the old gate, the fish gate, the sheep gate, and the prison gate. Uh, And then that's it. That's all the gates in the book of Nehemiah. So I just say, I just gave you all the references. I've even did that for you. All you need to do is just try to figure out what were they actually used for. Um, And I don't have, if I had a Bible dictionary up here, I'd probably do that for you as well. But once you figure that out, that may destroy some of the spiritualizing right there. Because if you're going to spiritualize it, it's got to be connected. But even if it is connected to these things, what, like, what freedom do you feel in, in going that direction? I mean, people already do crazy things with the book of Nehemiah as it is, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think people even preach the book of Nehemiah anywhere close to what they, how they should actually preach it. They make it represent everything dealing with us. So I guess it would be common for us to make all the gates about us as well. All right, there you go. That can kind of clue that that will be your kind of concluding work on the book of Nehemiah. I know I've already given that homework, but I wanted to circle back to it because I didn't want anyone just to go, ah, yeah, not gonna worry about that. Please, 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 please. Because this, I'm not saying it's the biggest issue in the world, but wasn't it fascinating that I could go to sermons 2.0, just type in gate and immediately gate or gates and find series, which clearly did what I've just spoken of. So we need to, uh, my job is to equip you so you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And my job in the Bible study exercise is to get you actually studying the Bible so you are protected from the spiritual abuse and twisting of the text. All right, there you have it. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. We got lots. We got a sermon review to finish. We got lots to do. So thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.